0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Blaine Strickland. I'm here with three advisors from the Menlo Group of Companies that are involved in dental real estate, dental transitions, and consulting with dentists about their practices. I'm going to introduce them formally to you here in just a moment, uh, but I wanted to let you know that we've assembled today to talk about some ideas that we think will be valuable to you. We think that these ideas will help you understand the conditions in the market today and thrive in that understanding. So let's meet first uh, Matt Porter. Matt, welcome. Take a moment, you. if you would, Matt, and tell us what your role is in the Menlo companies and the general services that your division provides.
1: So the general services that Menlo provides, we're a full service support to dental practices, and we cover the entire life cycle of a dentist in their career, starting with helping place associates find employment, to helping dentists when they're ready to be a private practice owner, whether that be valuing and buying a practice or starting up a practice. We help with ongoing consulting and operational support of a practice to help consult and improve the performance of your practice. And then ultimately, we help with the practice transition, whether that is selling and walking away, buying a practice, selling a practice, and walking away or selling and working back. So specifically, I'm the managing partner of Menlo Dental Transitions, and we provide practice appraisals, certified professional appraisals of dental practices, as well as practice sales, helping dentists looking to sell and walk away, sell and work back, or transition into a partnership.
0: Wow, that's great. That sounds like a lot of specialization. Okay. Um, Well, let me call next on Rich Andrus. Rich, if you would um, help us uh, do the same thing that Matt did for us. Tell us what your title is and tell us how you provide services to dental clients from your corner of the Menlo group of companies.
2: You bet. Thanks, Blaine. So uh, I work for, my name's Rich Andrus, work for Menlo uh, Commercial Real Estate. We're a full-service commercial real estate brokerage firm. My specific role is I help dentists uh, with the leasing and sales of their property, everything from lease renewal negotiations to uh, de novo startups, to land acquisitions, to disposition of of the uh, it, real estate to investors and or to other owner users or other dentists. Um, so everything that touches uh, uh, the real estate cycle uh, for a dentist, such as uh, even uh, lease assumption work when a dentist is purchasing a practice and assigns needs to assign their lease Everything that touches a dentist from a real estate perspective is what I do, uh, helping dentists navigate through that process of of lease and sales in the real estate world.
0: So it sounds like, Rich, you are frequently probably working with Matt and his angle as well. It sounds like there's a lot of uh, harmony there between the things that Matt is doing on the practice side and what you're doing on the real estate side.
2: Absolutely. Lots of synergy.
0: Yeah, good. Okay, thank you. Uh, Mark, you're up. Mark Haslip is with us today. Mark, tell us about your role in the Menlo Group of Companies, starting with the name of your company and the title that you hold there.
3: Sure. I'm the managing partner for our consulting division. It's uh, specifically titled and branded Menlo Dental Consulting, and we provide consulting services, just what you know Matt alluded to, um, anything from cradle to grave, really from inception and startup phase to Kind of mid-career to even up to and including those who are kind of looking somewhat two to three to five years out and you know, to, to transition and retire and really everything in between as far as kind of just ramping up and improving efficiencies and profitability um, removing a little bit of management and headache stress for those practitioners so that they can focus on delivering the clinical care that they've been trained to do
0: yeah okay great again i can see the harmony there whereas Rich and uh, Matt might be more focused on a specific transaction or event. And it sounds like yours is more of a durable coaching sort of environment. Is that a fair way to think about it?
3: Yeah, I'd say that's a fair assessment. The reality is they're, I mean, to your point, Blaine, they're super synergistic. Yeah. And there's, there's components of all these things that are very much uh, in harmony and need to be in harmony, I think, throughout the life cycle of a, of a practice. Uh, the reality is you got to start in a lot of ways, shapes and forms with the end in mind. And that's where the transitions, I think, division really helps with setting your practice and, and making sure that that end in mind, that what you're building is is creating value both short-term and long-term so that when that time comes in your career that you can exit in the highest and best value. And throughout that life cycle of the practice, I mean, into and out of i think according to the ada there's three different times during the life cycle of a practice that that business will relocate and you know hence you know rich gets involved from a uh, from a real estate uh perspective and making sure that that real estate's reflective of the business that they want to present to the community and it provides the, the avenue the opportunity the visibility for growth and expansion and then i help them from an operational standpoint so yeah very synergistic
0: yeah, that's a great overview. Thank you for helping us understand that. Okay, well, let's. Uh, given that the introductions are complete, let's uh, take a moment and look backwards. Wow, what a what a year it's been! Uh, a lot of a lot of changes, and we're still amidst those changes. Uh, Matt, let me turn back to you. Um, how has the pandemic affected the dental market? Uh, what, what's your take on sort of where we are, where we've been, and what the present conditions are?
1: Playing with respect to valuations and the value of a practice, surprisingly little has changed. What we experienced in the pandemic is very different from what we experienced with practice valuations in the recession that we experienced last time around in 2008, nine and 10. Uh, what happened this year is very different. It was temporary. It was non-economic in nature. And it was an external factor. And so th- there were a couple months of slowdown, or in some states and cases, shutdown. But immediately when practices were allowed to reopen, M- May was the month in, in most practices, those practices flourished. And so what we saw was as soon as those external temporary factors were removed, practices performed really well. So what that means in terms of valuation was that nothing really changed. Values have stayed the same after the pandemic as they were prior to the pandemic. And it makes sense if you consider that the value of practice is measured based on long-term performance and long-term value of the practice. It's not like a spot price. A spot price is the value of something immediately in real time. What is the price of a a barrel of crude oil or uh, an ounce of gold? And that even intraday, like within a single day, that price moves and fluctuates based on real-time economic factors. That's not the case with dental practices. We know that predominantly the value of a practice is in its goodwill, the the patient loyalty, the reoccurring dentistry that occurs through that active patient base, and goodwill doesn't evaporate overnight. So knowing that, uh, practice values have stayed relatively constant throughout the pandemic and after the pandemic.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I when I think about my own relationship with, the, with my dentist, I, I couldn't get in for a couple of months, but then I was appreciative of the fact that they found a way to get me back in. I don't wanna go for a year without seeing my dentist. And so I can appreciate what you're saying is that there was a sort of a temporary blockage, but once that blockage, once we sort of resolved that, the, the patients were still there.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Yeah, okay. Okay, great. Um, Mark, let me turn to you. Um, talk about the struggles of the pandemic, if you will, for the dentists uh, over that over this long period of time. You know, there were struggles and maybe some dentists are still even fighting through some of those struggles. What's your perspective on this question?
3: Yeah, I think, Blaine, look for the discussion that's, you know, and you guys, you and Matt have just had, there's still some practices out there that are struggling, but here's what I would say. And this is truly the good news. And you guys have alluded to it in your conversation. The industry itself is still healthy. The demand for services are absolutely still there, right? So by no way, shape, or form, am I here to deny the fact that the entire dental industry got punched in the face. And we did. And it was painful. Never before, to my knowledge in the history of this industry, have we been labeled as, quote, non-essential. That's a big deal. I mean, you think about what that means to a career path of a highly educated, highly trained clinical provider. You are non-essential. And by the way, at the beginning of this pandemic, we're coming for your PPE because we figure you've got extra, we need to re-divert those resources to the hospitals. So if and when you reopen down the road and it was at the beginning stages and if and when, you won't have any you know, PPE to be able to reopen with So not only was this a a really scary short-term position at the beginning stages of this, this was potentially a very long-term, really difficult situation for most of these practitioners to, to overcome. So that is the background. Look, I've never worked so hard in my life than I did during those month and a half to two months of shutdown. And we talked about everything. And everyone, I think, on this call can relate to this. We talked about... HR issues, about marketing, about strategic shutdowns, about PPP and EIDL loans, about how to reopen with COVID restrictions, and everything else in between. This was a massive, massive undertaking. Uh, you know, and and here in here in Arizona, we had some specific you know situations that we dealt with. But we, the good news is, is again, is that we made it through. And to Matt's, you know, to Matt's point, when we reopened, that pent up demand of services was there, and it was real. And a lot of these practitioners recorded record months. So it was super healthy, super positive for the entire industry to come not only just reopen their doors, right? Be back to work and to be able to serve the community and you know to to start taking care of their businesses that they've worked so hard to obtain, but to know that the patients were there, that the demand was still there, and to set some record months on top of that was really, really, I think, inspiring for a lot of the community. Now, what they then realized is six months after and this is how the dental industry works you have hygiene cycles right and typically most patients come every six months for a hygiene appointment if it's soft tissue management or other things it's a little bit more frequent but most patients are coming every six months when you have a two month gap in the schedule well six months from that timeline you got another gap and so I, now I refer to this and everyone kind of chuckles at, at it as the great hygiene crisis of 2020. So <laughs> look, for those, for those who put a plan together and started to address that prior to that situation actually occurring in their office, you know, had a little bit of foresight to look down the road. Look Again, we came through it. I, I wouldn't say unscathed, but I would say the damages were certainly minimized
0: yeah that is really interesting. i hadn't I hadn't thought about that and And just to your point that you go from uh, two months of <clears throat> no service to two months or so of pent up demand, that causes problems as well. You know when the needle swings from one end to the other, that there's still challenges there. Yep. Okay, well, thank you for that. That's a, a helpful look back. Rich, let me turn to you and let's look forward. So as you think about the uh, real estate market that we're in now and what you perceive to be coming, um, tell us how uh, dentists and dental practices can take advantage of the market that's, that's shaping up in front of us on, in the commercial real estate arena.
2: Well, yeah, there are, there's lots of discussion about the real estate market. Lots of, I mean, every day there's a new article that's coming out based on you know what's going to happen with the vacancy, the work from home, Scenarios that are that are occurring all across the nation, uh, large companies re, repositioning their real estate portfolios, and uh, you know how does that affect the dentist? How does that affect the the, the practices themselves? Um, real estate, everybody, everybody, there's a mantra: buy low, you know, sell high scenario, and that that situation is just a time of preparation. So dentists today need to prepare. Uh, number one, prepare to put your practice in a situation that um, that down the road if prices uh, fall considerably that you can relocate your practice into a into an area and buy it at a, at a price that that works for your practice um, commercial real estate really should be a vehicle for your practice to be able to deliver its goods and services to the uh, to your to the population and so you know the first thing is just look at the real estate that you have today do you like it? Is it serving your needs? Uh, do you have enough operatories to service the, the patients that you have? Is it too big? Is it too small? Uh, does the flow work? All of those questions just internally uh, help you prepare to know directionally where you need to go if you if we do need to go out into the market and look for space. You know, looking back pre-COVID, lots of dentists want, you know, there's been a shift over the last, I would say, five to 10 years that have pushed dental more into a retail sector, high visibility, high signage, uh, have have proven to be something that dentists really enjoy. Uh, hard corner, and everybody wants to be main and main of dentistry. Um, previously, most landlords, lots of landlords were choosing uh, their end cap space to be more restaurant use, and restaurants were willing to pay more and and kind of attracted more of the clientele that that a landlord wanted. Well, COVID's really affected the restaurant business. Moving more into a uh, into different models of takeout and delivery, their space is shrinking. And so I, I think in the future, uh, a dentist that's well-prepared um, to know what they're looking for and goes through the process of saying, hey, this is where I'm at today. This is what my space is providing me today. This is where I want it to be in the future. Uh, can really look for opportunities, those end cap spaces, as the restaurant industry shrinks, as retail uh, continues to get affected by COVID, there will be more and more opportunities to be able to to move more into that high signage, high visibility uh, location, um, and to use
0: real estate more as the vehicle to deliver the the goods and services that you provide. Okay, That's, that's really interesting. It's sort of like in crisis, there is opportunity is what I heard there. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, Matt, let me call you back to the microphone. Um, a minute ago, you were telling us how the valuations um, fared through the pandemic. But as you look forward, Matt, what do you see on the on the buy side? Is there still, um, or, or not is there still, but is there, uh, is, there, is there a market now to buy dental practices?
1: How do you feel about that? There, there absolutely is. And Blaine, it's been counterintuitive, but we've actually seen more buyers in the market and more demand in the market uh, after that initial pandemic. And it's counterintuitive because every year, slowly but steadily, there's been a a movement where practice private ownership has gone down as a percentage of the overall market and uh, corporations, DSOs, and therefore a career path of being A long-term employee or a long-term associate has increased but what we and and one of the factors for that is uh, a lot of dentists will equate employment with a group or a DSO with stability and less risk and what became readily apparent was those dentists that were employees during the pandemic were the first ones to have their hours reduced and the first ones to be let go conversely private practice owners were much more in control of their own destiny. They could choose how long they stayed open for emergency hours, what kind of patients they saw, how quickly they reopened, how quickly they put their schedule full, how much production they wanted to put back in the schedule. And so I think it was an eye opener for a lot of younger dentists that had picked a path that felt like it was less risk of being an employee. And it dispelled the misperception that employment and a job is less risky. Uh, So we've seen a lot of those dentists that one, two, three years ago said, I'm an employee, I'm an employee for life, I like this, have now jumped out and said, I think I want to own a practice because I want to be in control of my own destiny and in, in the grand scheme of things that's less risky. So we've seen demand increase a little bit and the other thing is interest rates are at historical lows and that certainly hasn't hurt when it comes to demand increasing either. Well, you
0: mentioned interest rates um, how would you characterize the lending community uh, that surrounds this buy side activity are the lenders in the game
1: <laughs> It partially last year the the lender's appetite and access to capital was all over the board there were some lenders that were very aggressive and looked at this as an opportunity to gain market share and had access to capital and then you had some other lenders that were very well established, more mature maybe in their in their uh, business that turned off the lights. Blaine just froze out capital for all of 2020 and said, see you guys in 2021. Uh, so it, it was really varied in 2020. Fortunately, there were enough lenders that a lot of deals still got done for us at Menlo Dental Transitions. We transacted and sold more practices in 2020 than any year previous. So there wow. were enough lenders To to keep things moving and to keep up with supply and demand, what we see now as soon as we enter 2021 is the initial dust is settled and all the lenders are back in the game now, all of them. And there's increased competition. Everybody's ready to compete for business and everyone's being very competitive on interest rates.
0: Really, that's really interesting because if there's lots of buyers in the market and then there's active capital sources, that, that shapes up for a pretty busy year for you.
1: That's what we're seeing. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, very interesting. Okay, Mark, let me call you back up to the microphone. Um, how do you see the coming year? What, what should Dennis be doing now to prepare?
3: You know, I think it's, it starts playing with you got to have a plan, right? I, I, gone truly are the days of just hanging a shingle and expecting the community at large to come running to you because you're one of the few with a narrow skill set to address some of those, you know, clinical needs. Those days are gone um we might have some few isolated events you know throughout the country but for the most part metropolitan areas it's a competitive space and you got to have a plan you have to know who you are what you stand for what you want your business to stand for and what you want the community to to view you as right so i love a quote from ben franklin who said if you do tomorrow what you did today you're going to get tomorrow what you got today it's simplistic but it's brilliant it just means in my head that the world has changed. Look, COVID accelerated a lot of that change last year, right? We we all got comfortable with being uncomfortable. And some of us never got comfortable with being uncomfortable, but the reality is change got accelerated last year. And we can either embrace it and accept it for what it is and and move forward with, with the new plan in place, or or we can try and, you know, continue to pound a square peg into a round hole and be frustrated that it doesn't fit. So instead of being frustrated, the good news is those who have plans are experiencing success. They truly are because the demand, you know, for earlier parts in the conversation, really has shown that the demand is still there. I I work frequently with highly successful dentists, those with annual collections north of a million dollars in some cases, well north of a million dollars. The difference between those folks If if you've ever read the book, A Millionaire Next Door, right? They have houses just in the same neighborhood as everybody else, but they have a different balance sheet. Those practices and clinicians that have collections north of a million dollars have practices in the same neighborhoods as every other dentist does. But they think different, they act different, and they plan different. And those that do realize that they don't blame others. They get up in the morning, not to oversimplify this, but they look in the mirror and they realize that that person's success staring back at them in the mirror is theirs and they own it they don't blame the mayor they don't blame COVID. they don't blame blame the economy they don't blame summer break spring break or fall break right we hear that in the dental field frequently oh people are on vacation this month that's why i'm slow but those those people who have a plan and act on that plan think and act differently and when you do they make plans to improve all the different categories of their business hygiene soft tissue radiography. They try to do things to improve their case acceptance, to improve what they're, you know, the marketing spend dollars that they're placing out there to make sure that those dollars are well spent, that they're accounted for accurately, and that they pivot when they need to pivot. So again, the the best news and the good news is, is that the demand is still there. And for those people who reach out, ask for help, you know, a friend, a coach, a colleague, somebody that can, you know, see the world a little bit differently through a different lens and help maybe illuminate some areas of opportunity, those who are willing to make those changes are, are finding success even in today's world.
0: Wow, that's really, uh, really kind of inspiring, you know, after a year that it was so difficult for so many of us to, to hear you speak like that, it makes me think that you believe that there's a lot of opportunity for those people that will think a little bit differently and seize that opportunity. This, this could be a very bright, this is a very bright future.
3: Yeah. You know, I love I've had so many conversations over the last even 30 days of people that have been apologetic as we've been on the phone and have said, hey, I'm down 10 percent, you know, 2020 that I was over prior year. And and like like I said, are, are almost apologetic to that. I, I, I want to I, I want to pause for a moment and make sure that they understand, look, to to only be down. You know, five percent, 10 percent, whatever it is after you just got punched in the face as hard as you did, you ought to be proud of yourself. Like, look at the positive. I, I love Mike Tyson when he said, look, everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face, right? Right.
1: right.
3: And, and that's absolutely true. But if you can rebound from COVID, buddy, you can rebound from anything. And the yeah. future is bright. We just got to go develop that plan and go get it together.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, all right. Let's change directions a little bit. I want to talk about best practices. We, we've, we've looked at the year past. We've looked at the current market conditions. We've tried to look forward, but let's hone in on uh, what I would say are best practices. Rich, let me turn to you. Um, a lot of businesses are thinking really hard about their space, you know, dentists included. Uh, and so I have a couple of questions for you. Um, many businesses have team members who have been working from home. H- how is that affecting the commercial real estate market?
2: Yeah, great question. I mean, really it's it's shifting space, right? You have a you have properties where, where people are at work and you have work dist- you have working districts and you have home and residential communities, and it's moving employees closer to their home. And so from a from a dental perspective, we need to get closer to the home, right? We need to get closer to marketing into the home, we need to get closer to drawing patients from the home versus uh, versus going to their work, if you will, um, in the dental community, really, the working from home doesn't work, right? A dentist can't, you're not, not going to work from home. And so we haven't seen the, the shift in demand on property itself and on space. We still need dental assistants. We still need the hygienist to show up. We still need the office managers. And so you haven't seen a relocation of, of labor, if you will, into the work from home scenario in the dental field. Um, it's it, it you know dentistry per se it hasn't changed much there but the marketing does need to change and where you place your business where you, how you market to and how you go forward uh, is important to look and say hey uh, now my work from home the patients that used to work and come in on on off business hours they may be able to come we may be able to get somebody to come in at different times and working through uh, you know shifting the marketing efforts I think does matter based on the new, the new work from home that's happening across the, across the nation.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting. So you're being more responsive to not your workers, but other workers who can now maybe time shift like they couldn't before. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me ask you a second question, uh, Rich, and, and we're thinking here in terms of best practices. So I'm a, I'm a dentist. I've got a lease that expires in the next few months what What should I be thinking? What should I be doing? How do I try to make this expiring lease an advantageous situation for me? Absolutely. So the, first and foremost, I would say, as as
2: a dentist, we need to get uh, as a best practice, we need to know the dates that matter in our lease. And so if you're having a lease renewal conversation with your landlord two or three months in advance to a to a lease, ending um, candidly we're too late you know and so you, you're not going to put yourself in a real good leverage position and so the the average the average dental office relocation is you know on a fast time frame it's five to seven months on a traditional time frame we need seven to nine months to relocate a dental office and even though you may uh, doctor you may not think that you're going to relocate that's the leverage that's the position that's the opportunity that you create during a lease renewal scenario to say hey i need to look at my options to be able to create leverage and opportunity to be able to uh, uh, allow for that leverage to come into a lease renewal negotiation and keep your costs where it need to be where they need to be so we're talking best practices the best practice for a dental office is to create a real estate plan 18 months before your lease expires, and you should be sitting down. Uh, we should be sitting down, having a 15-20 minute conversation about, hey, what does the space look like? Does it fit? Does it work? If you could, it, it, you know, if you could pick a perfect picture, what would it look like? And then, uh, over the, that next uh, five to six months, between twelve to eighteen months before lease renewal, we are looking for the perfect scenario. And when we find that perfect scenario, we're then working on that. We don't lie. We absolutely go out to the market. We go find the space. We go look at the space. And then we give our landlords. Most dentists have positive relationships with their landlords. Landlords like dentists. Dentists like their landlords in most cases. And in most scenarios, it's, it's wise of a dentist to say, hey, prior to relocating or prior to looking at this, uh, I would love to see what a renewal looks like. And we approach a landlord in that fashion. Hey, I'd love to see what a renewal looks like. We found another space. We like the space. We could absolutely move to the space. We have time to move to the space. We have time to, to relocate. Uh, but prior to doing that, we would love to see, You know, we, don't, we want to compare apples to apples in the market. We don't want to just uh, leverage uh, what where our lease is. Most leases are have escalated several times in the lease, in the annual escalations from the previous negotiation. And so uh, most of the time we're comparing that last year, a lease term, which is a little bit higher than uh, to, a, to a new incentive, if you will. And so we'd like to try to get that to apples to apples. Hey, Mr. Landlord, give us, a, give us an opportunity to understand what that renewal looks like. And then you've put yourself on par. You have a great opportunity that you would absolutely be look at. And, and if you did need to relocate, you can. You have time to do so. You know what the economics look like. And you know what the renewal looks like to make a great decision for your business. Our mantra has always been, let your business lead your real estate. And we found that time and time again, as a dentist allows the business needs to, to be in touch and lead the discussion of what the real estate needs, you're putting yourself in a real good position.
0: I wanna take you back to that warning though, that's really good advice, but what you, the way you started there, Rich, was to say, man, if you're down to two or three months, you're it's you said you're candidly too late and i also heard you say many times we need time we need time just take us through that warning one more time
2: yeah look if you are the dentist that has two to three months left then it's time to be really nice to your landlord (laughs) right and you're (laughs) that's right the ideal unless there's a built-out dental space that's available in the marketplace Uh, next door within one to three miles that doesn't cross major barriers, that hits all of the metrics, which by the way, does happen occasionally, but that I wouldn't leave my fate in the hands of a dental office opening up somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That that fits. So, but, but if, Hey, look, I've done lease renewals. I had a lease renewal come in uh, two weeks left. And uh, that's where relationships matter. And as a broker, that's what we do. We have relationships with Landlords, we have relationships with the brokerage community, and so that—that's where that's my job, that's our job, to have those relationships and be able to say, hey, look, I represent this client. I would love to get a good opportunity. I know what the market is, and to work fast. Even in that circumstance, two weeks left, I was able to get several months of rent abatement, some tenant improvement dollars, and a market rate. So I'm not saying all this lost we're talking best practices, best practices to be way in advance of this. But if, if you're not in advance, I would absolutely reach out and get help to, to make sure that you're not getting um, taken advantage of and or run over. I have seen a doctor blow past their lease renewal option term and where they're past the, the ability to extend their option to renew. And I've seen the, the demand letter come over from a landlord that says, increase. Here you go. Take it or leave it. You have 30 days. And that dentist ended up taking it right at the end of the day. You're not going to relocate your practice in 30 days. Yeah. You're not. And so that's what, that's what the planning side of the business allows us to be able to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I really like the way you refer to that as that is the best practice we can operate at some handicap if needed, but the best practice is to leave yourself time. Absolutely. Okay, uh, Mark, we heard the planning word many, many times there from Rich, and you're the planning guy. So uh, pitch in here. Um, what words of wisdom would you add? Yeah, I'll beat a dead horse. <laughs> it, the most important thing
3: is to plan ahead, right? And now this is really Rich and the CRE team's specialty. So for those that don't feel comfortable getting organized and writing down what those lease Terms and rates are, and just remembering when that expiration date is—that's one of the most important, you know, pieces of this conversation. If if you're not comfortable putting that piece of information on a calendar appointment, you know, 18 months prior to the end of your term, please re- reach out to Rich and his team. They'll take care of it for you. They have, you know, a CRM a C- a CRM system that they work with that'll automatically prompt them so that they will reach out to you. I mean, consider them an outsourced. Piece of your management team, your real estate team, really, right? To be able to help you through those, those types of decisions, because to all of the prior comments that are made, I can't stress enough. I've seen it too on my end, and on, especially on the consulting side of this equation. The real estate component of a practice tends to get overlooked the vast majority of time. And the description that Rich is talking about happens an unfortunate amount of time. And when it does, everyone is scrambling and we're all... You know, fighting from a a depressed and uphill battle type of location—it's uncomfortable, and it causes both the brokerage community, you know, from Rich and his team's side of the equation, up to definitely including the tenants' side of this discussion. Even from a landlord and ownership perspective, they, you know, oftentimes if they're a little bit progressive and they're looking down the road, they don't know what the future looks like from them you know, for their perspective, either. Is this tenant staying? Are they leaving? Am I going to have to backfill the space? I've had a good relationship. They've provided stability to the center itself. So all of those things tend to be in flux if you don't plan ahead. So yeah, look, I'll, I'll, I'll say it again, plan ahead. Um, if I can add one thing to this conversation when it comes to dental offices and, and real estate is, and I tell, I tell clinicians this all the time, walk through the front door. Stop going into the back door or through your private entrance because you never see the lobby. You never see what your patient experiences. And if you don't know that you've got 1970s carpet in your lobby because you haven't walked through it in 30 years, that's on you. So you want to present yourself, your your skill set, your clinical ability to the community in a certain way. Make sure that your space represents and reflects what you want to present. And that starts with being aware of what you've got. Look, if it isn't what you think you have, change it. Right? It doesn't need to be a full-scale change, and you don't need a, you know, necessarily a full-scale reload. But put a little money into a refresh. You know, it's fairly inexpensive—new flooring, new paint—but it, it makes a world of difference to update the space, to bring light and lighting, and to have more of a modern touch for that space. So that when the patients show up, they realize, hey my clinician is investing in me and my experience. That's the big deal.
0: And that pays off. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you. Um, Matt, let me turn to you now. Uh, We're still in this arena of best practices. If if a doctor is considering retiring or selling the practice, what is the
1: best practice here? What what should they do? Well, the best practice would be to give us a call at Menlo. Uh, I find often that Dentists wait until they're ready to retire and put the drill down permanently before they give us a call. And that puts us all behind the eight ball when it comes to planning. So what I'd recommend is to reach out to us, have an initial complimentary consultation. It's confidential, there's no cost. We sit down and we just look at the practice from a high level and and give it a rough evaluation. And what that does is help us determine where to go from there. Uh, is the practice peaking in terms of performance, then now might be a good time to take some chips off the table, put together a transition plan, maybe sell and work back, but monetize your practice while it's performing well and mitigate some risk. Uh, we could also identify if there's areas of potential and opportunity that are easy to capitalize, low-hanging fruit to help increase the value of the practice. And then we can engage Mark and his team to help implement those changes and help consult in some best practices. Uh, so it's important just to get a snapshot of where we're at before we can plan where we want to go. And the key word there is plan. There are more transition scenarios available today than there ever have been before. You can sell and walk away. You can sell and work back part-time. You can sell and work back for five years as an emeritus owner at your own practice. You can partner with a DSO. I, I know that's those are taboo letters in our industry, but whether we like it or not, and I've been guilty of sticking my head in the proverbial sand for a while, uh, DSOs are, are fairly prevalent, especially in, in some of the markets where they have almost 20% market share, and it's an option that Dennis should consider and at least evaluate. So the blame, the advice is plan ahead. Don't wait until you're ready to retire and set the drill down permanently before you give us a call and explore options. Uh, It's it's amazing how many conversations we're having with practitioners, practice owners in their 40s and 50s that are starting to plan ahead. And gosh, I'm envious. We have some that have planned and we've prepared over the years. And in their early 50s, they're transitioning out of ownership or out of the clinical role completely because they planned well and they've set their practice up for an ideal transition and an ideal sale to maximize the value. So Matt,
0: you've mentioned that the best practice is really to call you and start to enable you to prepare options and ideas. Uh, how far in advance should I call you? Should I should I do it when I'm pretty sure that now's the time and I wanna do it next week or do I need to do it a year in advance? What's your recommendation?
1: Really Blaine, ideally two to three years in advance. Wow, wow. And, and that, that's not intuitive, but In order for us to put a plan together and maybe if there's some if you consider it in the in the vernacular of selling a home there's some staging there's some improvements that you can do Uh, most of the staging improvements in a practice aren't uh physical they're they're in the qualitative facets of the practice improving hygiene recall uh maybe adding some technology to the practice but Uh, there are things that you can do years in advance to plan and some dentists find that their best transition is while they still have two or three years left in the tank clinically to transition out of ownership and just finish the fourth quarter of their career focused on the clinical aspect and doing what they really enjoy and love without having to manage the business aspect so Blaine, two to three years in advance is ideal we can set a plan and then we just have regular check-ins every six months or a year as we're getting close to putting the plan in action. But uh, that's really the ideal timeline. In, as we're all talking about best practices here.
0: Okay, great. That's perfect. Good to know. Okay, Rich, let me turn back to you one more time. The last time you were at the microphone, you were talking about tenants, uh, practices, dentists that are tenants. Now I want to now I want to ask you about the the practice or the dentist that owns their real estate. Um, what is what is the best practice for them? What can they do as they face this upcoming market? Awesome. Well, first off, uh, I
2: think I think most dentists desire to own their space. And if we all could own our real estate, then pe- people want to own real estate. Dentists like to own their own real estate. They like the the pride of ownership, and they love to be able to, um, you know, love the idea of owning rather rather than you know, leasing and throwing the money from the practice uh, away. So if you are one of those fortunate uh, dentists that own their real estate, own your real estate, then I would first say just know what you own. Um, Know what you own. And do you know the value of the real estate today? Uh, And and know kind of from a position, an overall position of uh, different techniques to, to dispose of the real estate and to exit the real estate. So Matt just talked about all the different scenarios that exist in exiting um, a practice. Well, there are far more opportunities today in the real estate world than have existed in the past. Uh, traditionally, a dentist would buy their real estate and they would say, hey, I'm either I'm going to use this as a vehicle for retirement down the road. I'm going to enter into a lease agreement with the individual who purchased my practice and, uh, and take the cash flow and, and allow the cash flow to come in. And be able to uh, help support my retirement needs. And that's definitely a strategy. If that is your strategy, I would say make sure that you have somebody that's on your team putting together a really solid lease with solid lease terms. Uh, the amount of lease documents that, that vary in that transition world that, that are all over the board. And I've seen leases that are two and three pages that don't have any teeth. That don't have any uh, ability to provide you the stability that you're looking for, if that is your strategy. So make sure that your lease is a well-written commercial lease um, that has teeth that allow you to be able to to use that vehicle. The other scenario is, hey, I would I've enjoyed ownership. I just want to be able to pass that same opportunity on to the individual that buys my practice. Um, and that scenario, uh, allowing the dentist to own. I would say, number one, do you know what the value of the real estate is in the owner-user marketplace? And in our Valley, that's traditionally uh, that's traditionally lower value than if you were to sell in today's market to an investor. And not just a little bit undervalued, north of 100 to $125, $150 a square foot less by selling uh, to an owner-user dentist than to an investor. And wow. so that third scenario, I mean, that's a big that's a big change. That third scenario is, hey, selling to an investor. Investors have found that dental commercial real estate is a, a very desirable place to be. And if you think this is the game as a solo practitioner of just you, look, Heartland's <coughs> buying their own real estate, Pacific's buying their own real estate, all of the big uh, shops are jumping in to purchase pads and real estate because they are they are real estate owners and dental operators. And they are there are two different ways to be able to add value. Your practice adds value. Your real estate adds value. And there are really two exits of both of those. And so uh, we would love to sit down with you. I'd love to sit down and show the value. If I own my if if you owned your real estate, if you are someone that is saying, hey, I want to plan ahead. Understanding what those two or three scenarios look like, how much cash flow are you going to be able to take off, how much, uh, how, what could I sell my real estate for today to an owner user, to another dentist, or what could I sell my real estate to an investor and understanding what those look like. Uh, that's absolutely something that we can do two, three years in advance and be able to set up a strategy th- to help you uh, maximize the value of your investment.
0: Yeah, wow! With that kind of spread, you can see that you really have to get that guidance because that's a that's a significant uh, difference in those two options. Yeah, huge. And most dentists, uh,
2: there there are a lot of dentists that go into this conversation very blind, and they've sold their practice, and then they've uh, then they just let their real estate transact, um, and they think the real estate becomes an afterthought in the transition world. Real estate is often an afterthought and it shouldn't be. It should absolutely be viewed as a separate investment and a separate opportunity to be able to get two bites of the apple if you
0: will. Yeah, wow, good guidance. Okay, thank you all. Um, All right, as we begin to sort of bring this home, um, we have over this last several minutes uh, talked about some sort of macro guidance as I would call it. Where have we been? Where are we going? What's the best practice? But I want to really make it sticky for our listeners today, and so I would like for each of you to offer a sort of a micro case study, Uh, help us understand specific a specific situation in which you help someone. Of course, we're not looking for private details or something like that, but I would love to hear how you came alongside a client and enabled them to succeed with the goals that you agreed on with them. So I'm going to ask each of you to do that. Uh, Mark, I'm going to start with you first. Could you give us a uh, a scenario in which you can illustrate for our listeners exactly how you provided value. Um, Mark I'm going to ask you to go first and then Rich you'll be up second.
3: Sure Blaine great question. So recent example working with a general dentist here kind of in the Phoenix metro area struggling with profitability and the conversation in the background went something similar to, to this it was hey I'm 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 working, at least it feels like I'm working about as hard as I normally have historically. My schedule is about the same, it's pretty full. I'm doing about the same kind of procedures, but for some reason, my take-home pay is shrinking. I'm making less and less every year, and honestly, I'm not exactly sure what's going on. So that's the background, right? So we put in some data data analytics software, then we pulled the numbers so i'm a big fan of taking sometimes the personality out of the equation and looking at just the raw data and so that's what we did we took a look at it and one of the things that we found was that the insurance reimbursement scene in his business was getting worse and worse over time and it had literally never been dealt with now that's not an uncommon scenario clinicians always are you know super busy delivering clinical services and there's multiple you know, hats that these folks have to wear on a daily basis and sometimes things get missed. So we took a look at that and it, and it became fairly obvious, you know, once we pointed it out and ran the numbers, that at least that was one of the issues that was going on. So we've the good news is we started to address that um, and you absolutely can, there's certain strategies that you can implement to really improve that. And the best news in addressing those reimbursement levels and getting them updated, not only does the clinician start to get paid closer to you know what they're actually worth, but those are dollars that go straight to the bottom line. It's pure profit. It doesn't cost them a dime extra in overhead, not in staff, not in marketing, not in supplies, nothing. It's the same procedures. They're just getting paid more for what they've done. And those dollars have made a huge impact for this gentleman's practice. And now it's improved the cash flow to a point where they can make some investments in some other areas that can then also grow the revenue and really put the practice in a lot better financial position. So sometimes they don't need to be big wholesale changes; they're just little tweaks. But it's it's the it's the process of identifying what they are, and then being able to specifically guide specific solutions to to capture what those opportunities are.
0: Yeah, perfect, great story. It you know what I heard there was is that you came alongside them and uh, looked at looked at information that they weren't looking at, and it turned out there was a solution. There was a recapture in there. That you were able to guide them to yep absolutely good perfect okay rich let me bring you back to the microphone um tell us from the the commercial real estate side of the services vehicle at menlo uh give us a little micro case study of how you were able to provide value to your clients
2: you bet so uh in the in the i'm going to speak a lot about the lease renewal world because i believe today's conditions most dentists wanna hunker down and maximize their current space. And and I found that in consulting over the last quarter, last six months, nine months, most dentists want to just try to maximize where they're at. And so a a recent case study, I had 18 months, 24 months in advance, uh, reached out, I reached out, it was to Mark's point, it was in, the lease expiration date was in my CRM. I reached out and said, hey, the lease looks to be expiring in the next two years. Would love to have a conversation. We set up the conversation. We set up the the scenario perfectly to where we look. We know what we're looking for and an option came available. And then we took that option back to the landlord and and with real leverage, not, not fake conversation like we just want a better rate, real leverage in the marketplace, because what COVID's really created is uncertainty. Landlords like the certainty of the dental lease. Landlords like the term. Landlords like the rate and the stability of the tenant. And so you as a dentist have something that, that your landlord likes. And so if you plan ahead, then just like in this scenario we planned ahead, we've got significant tenant improvement dollars to redo carpet, paint, cabinetry. We got significant rent abatement on the front side of the lease. And we we're able to move, march that forward well in advance, six plus, six plus months in advance of a lease termination and so um that that's a great case study just simple follow the plan reach out in advance and let us create leverage and and that's a um that's a a process that we know how to do and it's something that we can take you through and be able to provide lower occupancy cost better space as far as upgrades to the space and just peace of mind of
0: where you're going to be yeah, that's that's a great story. That's a kind of a triple win there. So thank you for sharing that. Okay, Matt, uh, let me call you to the microphone um, from the from the transitions from the Menlo transitions, Menlo dental transitions corner of the of this of the arena, uh, help us understand how you've brought value to
1: a client that you've served. Blaine's probably hard to choose my favorite. Um, one anecdote I'll share. Uh, I spoke maybe a little over a year ago at a study club here in town giving a CE lecture on valuations and transitions. And shortly thereafter, one of the dentists who attended reached out to me and asked for a, a confidential discussion at his practice. So we met after hours at his practice. And uh, I said, tell me what you've got going on. He said, well, I've been trying to sell my own practice. I've been doing it for about three months. I said, tell me what's been your experience. He said, man, I, I picked a sales price that i thought was reasonable i just used some old uh rules of thumb percent of collections has been a common rule of thumb from years and years ago so he said i just kind of picked a percentage that i had heard um and he said i have just had a, I, I created a fictitious email account i put a couple ads up and uh, i'm getting very little interest and the interest that i'm getting i can't even tell if they're serious they're interested i don't even know if they're qualified and frankly i don't know what next steps to walk them through. So tell me your advice. And Blaine, this was a practice that was had a thriving hygiene department, strong technology, very established practice in the heart of Scottsdale, which is a more desirable area. And I spent about an hour with this doc running practice reports, looking at financials, all the qualitative and quantitative facets of the practice. And after an hour, I said, doc, your practice is worth a million dollars all day long. And he said, you really think you could sell for a million dollars? Absolutely. Uh, So he said, okay, have at it. Show me what you can do. And within six weeks, we had the practice sold in a transition plan, and that doctor had a million dollars cash in his pocket. And what was really enjoyable about that is I was able to add value in a couple different aspects. One is valuing the practice professionally. It's so hard. Practices 10 years ago used to be much easier to to use a rule of thumb to value, and now there are so many complex factors that uh, doing your own valuation can hurt you. In in his case, left a lot of money on the table, about $120,000. So bringing professional appraisal so he didn't leave money on the table. Secondly, we spend a lot of time, money, and energy even doing things like this, Blaine, to help create a, a list of qualified, motivated buyers who we know have capacity and we know have serious intent in buying a practice and have been pre-approved by a bank. So we can bring quality buyers to the transaction. Then third of all, help them walk through the process, know what the sequential steps are and keep the process moving forward with uh, eliminating risk and helping the seller with peace of mind. So that was a great experience for me to help. uh, Even after a commission, uh, putting significantly more dollars in the pocket of that dentist, helping him find an ideal buyer that practice. It was a great fit that the buyer came from out of state, had already been a private practice owner in another state, was well qualified, experienced. The dentist felt like he, he could have confidence that his patients were in good hands. And we got it done quickly and painlessly, where uh, the dentist really didn't know what he was doing on his own. So, those are the kind of experiences that helped give me. Uh, uh, intrinsic reward for being able to add value to a dentist in their transition.
0: Yeah, I mean, increased uh, value, decreased risk, and peace of mind along the way. That's a pretty that's a pretty powerful recipe to help someone.
1: In the words of Michael Scott, that's a win, win, win. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, Matt, let me stick with you as we wrap up. Uh, help me put a bow on this. Uh, remind us of the three companies that are represented on this call and uh, maybe give an overarching statement about how the companies can work together for the benefit of their clients.
1: Certainly. At the end of the day, Menlo Group has been around well over a decade and we're here to help and assist. What that started as was commercial real estate, helping dentists, everything that Rich just articulated, uh, establish a new practice, do a startup, sign a lease, buy a building, renew a lease, transfer your lease, sell your building, and as we worked with dentists that we listened and we got feedback as to their other pain points in the life cycle of owning a practice and that was the genesis behind starting menlo dental transitions as so many dentists said hey i need help valuing and selling my practice can you help with that so we said don't know how but we'll figure it out and we'll do it and and that was how Menlo dental transition started then more recently We've had a lot of dentists who have said, I'm not ready to sell, I'm not ready to retire, but man, my practice isn't doing what I want it to do. I need help. What would you advise for uh, ongoing operations? And that was the emphasis behind Menlo Dental Consulting. So at this stage, Blaine, we've really set up every aspect where we can help the dentist through their entire life cycle, helping up from Menlo Dental Consulting, and the website is www.menlodentalconsulting.com to help associates find jobs, to help ongoing practices improve performance, improve profitability, decrease stress, and ultimately also helping practices identify, screen, and hire associates to take over some of that clinical workload. Secondly, Menlo Dental Transitions. We're now one of the largest dental transition brokerages in the country, and we help with practice sales, we have several certified valuation analysts that can do a professional practice appraisal nationwide or sales, partnerships, buy ins buy outs and helping put together transition and sale plans. And that website is just menlotransitions.com. And then lastly is the commercial real estate group. That's the website is Menlo C-R-E, stands for commercial real estate, menlocre.com. And as Rich mentioned, anything touching real estate, doing a scratch start, buying a building, signing a lease, renewing a lease, moving your practice, selling your building, transitioning your lease to the new owner, everything that's covered under that umbrella, Rich and his team can help with.
0: Okay, that is a great summary, Matt, and I really appreciate it. So uh, Mark Haslip of the Consulting Company, uh, Rich Andrus of the Commercial Real Estate Services Company, and Matt Porter of the Transitions Company. Thank you, fellas. Great, great job. And uh, to our listeners, uh, thank you for uh, participating, uh, listening in on this. And we hope that as you find that you can use the services of Benlow, that you'll uh, access the websites that that, uh, Matt just ran us through but you can dial the main number at Menlo as well and find all of these companies and these service providers. That number is 480-525-5362. So once again, fellows, thanks. Great job. We'll uh, look forward to uh, hearing about more of your success in the future. And with that, we are adjourned.